the calm before the storm. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risks all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello one and all, welcome back to F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we're looking back at Bahrain testing and forwards to round one for the 2022 season. Whether you're tuning in your preferred podcast provider, your Apples, your Podfollows, your Spotify's, or whether you're listening live on River Radio or via the Listen Back feature. I'm Tom. I'm Angus. Hello, and I'm Tristan. And we started the last two episodes talking about how Russia's invasion of Ukraine is affecting this season of Formula 1 and the sport very much in its entirety. And I feel like we're drawing to the close of how it's affecting Haas when we consider that Kevin Magnussen, you may have heard of his name before, he drove for the US team, of course, between 2017 and 2020, is back. He's He's back. back with the team. He's replaced Nikita Mazepin, signed a multi-year contract, and he is ready to go for this season. And anyone who have listened to the last two episodes would have realised that his name didn't come up because (laughs) I don't think we really thought it was possible that he would return. But when you consider he was released from two contracts, uh, separate endurance racing teams and uh, championships, he was the silent man. He was race ready to go, yet we were unaware he was even under consideration for uh, Gundestein or for Gene Haas but my views of this is Haas have got their cool factor back in my view I now take them far more seriously uh, with Schumacher and Kevin Magnussen as the driver duo and that may be fair or unfair we'll see how they go in terms of this season but they have a balanced ticket in my view of experience of course, uh, Magnussen has been in Formula 1, not only with Haas, but also with McLaren, so the talent's there, the time's there as well. He knows the team very well, so someone who could slot in uh, very seamlessly, similar to the sort of Fittipaldi arguments uh, that I was very much leading last episode. Mm. And then you've got the raw talent of uh, Mick Schumacher coming through. And my, I know we're going into bold predictions later, but my yeah. bold prediction, starting off from this, uh, this episode of F1 in Review, is that Haas now have a better driver duo than Williams, mm. and they have a better driver duo, or should I say, a driver duo that can equal and challenge your Aston Martins, oh. your Alpha Tauris, and indeed, I, I mean, I'd even go as far as say your Alpha Romeos as well. But uh, what do you think about that? Can we take a moment to appreciate the, I think, mature and quick action from Haas to resolve their problem? Because I mm. feel like they have had to do a lot of damage control and also a, a moment's thought for the poor social media team that have had to deal with the this, you know, the points to all mm. the problems at the moment for them and uh, try to, to make something out of it. And 
it, it makes you a warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it, to hear Ke- Kevin Magnusson's back? Because Kevin Magnusson was part of Haas when Haas were not a joke, when they were, you know, getting into the paddock and, and kind of ripping up the rule book. If you haven't been following the sport for a long time, then I will just throw some numbers at you very quickly to illustrate my point so if you cast your mind back to 2018 before the pandemic before the ukraine crisis better times you might say um kevin magnuson was ninth in the driver's standings with 56 points for Haas. and yes the season after that was was not quite as good i you know he came in 16th with 20 points but let's face it that's nowhere near zero points, which is what a certain Mr. Mazepin managed to accumulate, and uh, Mr. Michael Schumacher as well, or Mick, as as we call him, for a lack of confusion there. So, absolutely, it's wonderful, wonderful to have Kevin Magnussen back. And now that uh, Hulkenberg isn't in the sport, Kevin Magnussen might not be so angry because they uh, famously had a had a bit of a a. a thing there they hated each other um i believe by the end of it i don't know if you remember that particular mm. conflict that really was yeah, one yeah. that drive to survive would have loved to have seen because they were like swearing at each other and trying to crash into each other yeah as i say better times but i think this signifies Hass's boomerang back into perhaps a, a sensible uh, position whereas you say tom you have an up-and-coming driver in the form of mick schumacher and then you've got let's say uh, a sturdier head on a driver's shoulder which is kevin magnuson old reliable if you would like matched with the you know, new up and coming but that that's just what that's my uh very high level thoughts what about you angus call me a party pooper you're a party pooper but you are thank, thank you uh but i don't i don't know it's not that it's an uninspiring signing but I just feel like they they could have if they'd gone with Piastri that would have been a lot more bold. I think if they really backed youth in that team, you could have seen both of them really go far. Um in terms of the other options, I will I can't can't deny it's um better option than Giovinazzi, definitely. Better option than Hulkenberg, especially because Magnussen knows the team. And he was the should we say the steadier Eddie of the two <laughs> steady Eddies <laughs> of Magnussen and Grosjean. That were there for those that magical four year spell uh, at Haas, um, but I don't know. I've never been a, a big fan of if drivers have dropped out the sport because they've been replaced by someone who's better. Of them then being brought back in afterwards. Do you think um, he was replaced by someone better though? That's, that's the only thing. That's because mm. like obviously he was replaced by Mazepin. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, no. Um, so, <laughs> no. So, but I, I don't know. I feel like they they could have gone more bold and really gone with youth at the same time though. I can see why they went with Magnussen because obviously he knows the team, but also because, based on uh, obviously the updates that have happened since our last podcast with uh, testing in Bahrain, Haas actually looked like they have an all right car that might actually mm. be able to break into the midfield. Dare I say it? Um, it looks possibly the likeliest out of those bottom three teams to break into the midfield. So maybe they thought, you know, we actually might have a chance here, and we might have to, you know, take advantage of that. And what's better to have one uh, someone who knows the team and two someone who's got multiple years experience in the sport so I've I've kind of talked myself out of the original point I made at the very start but um, I don't know that's that's why people listen to this show clear (laughs) concise and well constructed one directional arguments yeah oh I don't know I just 
I feel like they could have gone bolder. Maybe I'm. Maybe I just. I mean, I, I just think Piastri really deserved a seat, and I think it was a bit of an injustice how he didn't get one. F two yeah. champion, mm. and he's won every championship he's ever contested at the first attempt. But Mag- Magnussen will do well, I think, and he'll be a good mentor for Schumacher too. We can say that. Yeah. And and the thing is as well with Magnussen, I completely forgot he's only twenty nine years old. <laughs> and when you consider he's below 30, Mick Schumacher obviously is just above 20, it really feels like has a building towards something now, which I felt they wanted to do with the signings of Schumacher and Mazepin, having two younger drivers in there, you know, getting rid of the cobwebs with respect to Grosjean, who was past 30 and, you know, on the way towards 40, which isn't ideal. But now when you've got, as I say, that balanced ticket, but then also some legs in it as well, it's not just a, a, a really old hat, shall we say, and then a really young one. It's not a sort of Alonso situation and then Mick Schumacher. That's two sort of uh, different um, uh, areas of the table, shall we say, in terms of age. So I'm feeling relatively optimistic and I think it's one of those where it was only ever going to be somebody who had experience, I think, with Haas or someone who had experience with even a Ferrari car because, as we say, you know, Bahrain testing was upon us when Azapin was kicked out of uh, of Haas and was to be replaced. So they were fairly limited with who they could go for. And I think this is probably the best of a situation they were put in. And as you say, Tristan, I think the Haas have had a lot thrown at them so far this year, uh, on and off the track in terms of the freighters that were delayed as well, lest we forget, we'll get into that. And the whole situation regarding the Mazapins. I think they've handled themselves really well. And um, when you consider how... As we say, how much of a joke they were last season, realistically, it it now feels that they're a serious force who aren't just making up the numbers now, which is so good to see, because anyone who's been listening to this podcast series way back when to the start of last season, I thought they wouldn't be here this time, yeah, (laughs) this time at all. I thought they'd be, you know, gone. Hass wouldn't exist, so... um, I'm I'm fairly positive, really, from that standpoint. Yeah, I think we all thought Haas was going to... Uh, well, I'm talking about Gene Haas rather than the Haas. Is this the problem when people name their sports after uh, their teams after themselves? Yes, we all thought Mr. Gene Haas was going to get rid of Haas um, rather than Haas get rid of itself, which is some sort of weird uh, implosion. <laughs> but no one... I, well, there was a lot of rumours, let's say, that Haas was trying to get rid of of the team because he had lost faith in it. And as it now turns out, uh, Gene Haas is pouring more money into the team, which I think is a wonderful thing because there is a massive team of engineers, designers, drivers, you know, everyone behind the team doesn't want to lose their job. And we don't want them to lose their job either. We want more people in the sport. Things like the cost cap, um, which was introduced, will, will help Haas here. Don't forget that Haas, because they came last, will get more wind tunnel, t- tunnel time. If you aren't aware, the wind tunnels are incredibly important in Formula 1, so you get your aerodynamics correct. And the better you do in a year, the less time you get in a wind tunnel. And think of that, if you'd like, like a handicap in golf. It gives the lower teams a bit more an advantage to play catch-up. And we like catch-up because catch-up allows Red Bull to catch up to Mercedes and McLaren to catch up to Red Bull, etc. And by the end of the you know couple of years, you have a closer pack. And we like that. We, we like that. Um, and so I feel like Haas have stripped away their stupid livery that they'd pulled out for last year. They've 
gone back to the white and red and bit of black and that looks great i like that one it's not offensive it's exactly you know it's has it says what it does on the tin um and now they've got this this new set of drivers that I think will allow them to brush off last year. And I'm I'm going to drop the Drive to Survive bomb in early because I, I have been watching the series. It came out last Friday. And uh, because, you know, it's the week before the first race. Happy race week, everybody. We're nearly there. This comes out on Wednesday. So we'll be two days away from, uh, you know, the uh, start, really, start of the season. Um, or rather, the first race. But I've been watching Drive Survive. And they very quickly get into the Haas one. And I thought it was really interesting to see the behind the scenes of what, you know, Mazepin and his father had been putting you know, how much pressure they've been putting on the team. There's a bit, if you haven't watched it, you, you really should, because it's it's interesting to see the behind the scenes. Sometimes, yes, it's a bit overdramatised, but that doesn't matter overly. Um, not really. Uh, there's a bit, though, where, you know, Mazepin basically says, you know, Papa Mazepin says, if you don't give my son, you know, a, a mixed car or a better car, I'm going to withdraw all my funding from you. And it clearly just doesn't dawn on Papa Mazepin that... Look, let's face it, your son's a bit crap. It's not that yeah. Schumacher is getting preferential treatment. It's just a bit... His son's just a bit crap. His, his, you know, the first ever race in Formula 1, Mazepin lasted three corners. So I'm pretty sure... And I've, 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 you know, I've jinxed this now. Mr. Magnussen is going to last more than three corners at Bahrain. I feel like, you know, as you say, Angus, they, you know, we, and we will get into testing times in a bit. Hass have, have looked like they've used their time wisely, fingers crossed. They've, you know, managed to springboard forward. And I think this is just all adding up into a good recipe for success. Or rather, abilities to get some points, which they f- so desperately need. I think as well, to go back to the point for Hass about, I, I like to jump on that point about respectability. I think I spoke last week about image being so important in this world. And it feels like they are cleaning up their image a little bit uh, because the distancing from the Mazepins, uh, the bringing in of a popular, more household name, um, the focus on this year's car, which may seem to pay off a bit more, um, just about gaining respectability back for Haas, really. Um, so mm. if if that if it works in that respect and if they then have uh, proved to have a good car, then that could be a, end up being a decent year for them. No, absolutely. And when you consider as well that Haas are competing against household manufacturing names and huge uh, companies in themselves, they are very much the sort of David surrounded by lots of Goliaths, shall we say. So it's going to be always going to be difficult for them, uh, I think, to really sort of punch above their weight. And they did that for a few seasons and then fell down again after some dodgy decisions. But as you say, it's nice to see now that... Um, They've come into the sport, they've realised what you do and don't in terms of who you side with, who you don't side with, how you handle yourself, what you do in terms of crisis management. And it really feels that they're maturing, I think, now as a team versus how they were a few seasons ago. And I think the Haas name is here to stay in Formula 1. The question now is, does Gene Haas think to himself, well, realistically... I'm I'm aware now that I'm not going to be winning anything in terms of races one would think or dare I even say constructors or drivers championships but what do I want from this do I want this team to be one where it's respectable 
tick that box do i want it where it's going to be competitive get into testing but it's looking like it's going that way and do i want to be one where i'm uh proving we can do things differently shall we so we can you can compete in formula one without being a manufacturer or without being red bull um so so in that regard i think it's it's quite positive to see where Haas is going and what it can also show to other people who aren't in the sport at the moment what you can achieve if you do things do things right and now testing is done and dusted in terms of this season of Formula 1, unless there's going to be a random one in the middle of the season. There was testing in Barcelona a few weeks ago. We had Leclerc and Norris and Russell going fast. But I think it's fair to say we didn't really get a grasp of where people were or what the cars were like in terms of how they'd even look going into the season. But Bahrain, which took place between uh, Thursday and Saturday, that being the 10th of March through to the 12th, showed us a, quite a clearer picture, not a a mirror, shall we say, of what's to come, but a clearer picture of what's going to happen this season. And you saw, didn't you, the different designs that different uh, constructors took in terms of their cars. There's more standardised parts than ever before in this season, but you could clearly see which uh, team, shall we say, had decided to um, gamble on one thing and to think of something else. Um, so looking at those results, you had Gasly going fastest, Magnussen going fastest, and then Verstappen on uh, day three of testing. But what are our thoughts on that? What are our thoughts on how testing went, and what do we see moving forward? forwards in terms of who's perhaps um, got the best uh, materials behind them and who has some uh, work to do shall we say before we get in to over analyzing testing i think we should briefly discuss uh, just what testing is is like in, in formula one for perhaps new listeners because this year was a bit different wasn't it we had two lots of testing so we had barcelona testing uh a couple of weeks back and then we had another lot of testing um last week and you might be wondering why is it like that um we're not really sure but we we kind of we kind of can guess and um from what i understand they have to do their testing at barcelona because they're contracted into that but f1 decided in their infinite wisdom to try and accumulate a little bit more money because they're they're running a bit short in the old copper uh, the old coffers um and so they negotiated with bahrain uh to have a second lot of testing which would be the debut if you like for the the cars so barcelona testing there was no cameras there no film cameras so we couldn't really see what was going on you couldn't watch that and then bahrain gave them lots and lots of money to uh, be the first broadcastable um event for 2022 and that's why if you had formula one tv or, or sky you could tune in then to, to watch that um so we're not really going to discuss the barcelona testing because no team was going to turn up with the car that they were going to bring to the bahrain one because they'll be showing their hand too early i think we should say that um, we're only going to focus on the bahrain testing it's also important to mention that we are going to overanalyze this testing it happens we accept that what we say here is going on times that aren't necessarily representative of the end result of the car so there's a bit of a disclaimer there because if this is the first time tuning into formula one you might be wondering why what we say now has no bearing on what happens in the future at all okay we might say oh look he was the fastest and then their car sucks it's not because we can't read numbers it's because other teams were you know pretending that they were slow 
Okay. I think the main thing, like you said, Tristan, is the difference between the cars at Barcelona and Bahrain. And I feel like we have to start with quite possibly the one of the most innovative, interesting design uh well designs that I've seen for a very long time. And do we call them the side pods of the Mercedes or the no pods? I feel like we have to call them the no pods because it's the the feature where they took a pretty conventional part of an F1 car, the side pods, which are used to help uh, cooling in the interior and the engine of the car, and they've just gone. Nope, we don't fancy having those. We'll just <laughs> we'll just we'll basically like flatten them. Um, now they're compensated for this. You may be thinking, hang on, well, how's the car going to be cooling? They're compensated with little sort of or I say little more like exaggerated air vents on the top of the the no pod. Um, <laughs> And that's, I know, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So that's another, and that's how they're getting around it. Um, but yeah, that was definitely for me the most fascinating design aspect of the test. Uh, left you thinking for a second, like could this be a bit like how back in two thousand nine, a few teams discovered the double diffuser, and as like a design um, loophole, tried it out, and it was super fast. It left you thinking has the Mercedes found something which again is super fast and they're going and are we going to have deja vu and they're going to streak away from the field the early signs are not necessarily they still look quick but they Mm. don't look the quickest they'll be up there but it may take some time to um to catch up to uh, two particular teams at the front we think um also not to mention their porpoising issues they've had but yeah the the the, um we'll now call them the no pods um and their (laughs) the eyebrows that they raise in the paddock was certainly very interesting well, they were all over Twitter and uh, every other uh, F1 media site within a moment as soon as they rolled the uh, uh, Mercedes back and everyone went, hold on a minute, they forgot <laughs> to attach their side pods. What's happening here? Um, I think the other thing that the engineers have said, Angus, um, listening into some of uh, their conversations with the media, is they're compensating for the cooling um, by being clever under the car. What they've said is as soon as you see underneath the car, you'll understand how we're cooling it. So if Russell or Hamilton flips the car at any point or, you know, there's some sort of accident, I guess we'll see how they're doing it there. So they are being, you know, rather brave with uh, the idea of having a a smaller cooling package. Definitely. Mm. Absolutely, especially when you compare the Mercedes to the Ferrari of this season, which have obviously gone massively on the side pods, thinking they're the way that they're going to propel themselves to the front of the grid. But yes, you're absolutely right there. We always see this, don't we, in terms of, I feel, Mercedes at testing. They do okay. They have some reliability issues. You have the same talking heads come out and saying, oh, we're not going to be very competitive this year. Boo-hoo, (laughs) boo-hoo. And then you have Ferrari and Red Bull romping away the competition we think ah finally finally this is gonna be the one and then come to the season anyone who's watching drive to survive uh the latest series will will see of course that their testing wasn't fantastic in 2021 and then the first seat uh, first race of the season they win the race um so it's not always the case of the fastest car wins uh the season or the championships i mean I'd, I'd say, for example, Ferrari were the, the quickest car in 2019 and they didn't win the championship. Uh, Red Bull probably had the better car-ish, just about. Um, last season gone by and that went right down to the wire. So it's one of those, as we say, where fast car doesn't equal victory. And um, 
I think it's quite interesting, though, that we're seeing these issues when it comes to, to Mercedes, but don't read too much into it in terms of um, how they're going to fare, because we've seen it all before. We have, and every year, as you as you rightly say, everyone goes, is this the year Ferrari are back? And, um, you know, and everyone gets the hopes up that the team in red might take it. There are so many Ferrari fans, let's face it. And then um, mm. it gets swiftly whipped away by the, the flash of silver. Um, or, you know, last year, I suppose, Red Bull as well. And and I think last year, though, they were massively inhibited, the Mercedes team, um, by the, the change in the rules that they didn't realise was going to impact them so severely. Um, uh, with in, But looking at testing this year uh looking at the time sheet i'm looking at the de- uh, testing day three time classifications the fastest person on track was max Verstappen, followed by charles leclerc fernando alonso george russell uh who is in the mercedes this year if you don't if you don't know um he was in the williams last year and fa- followed by valtteri bottas in alfa romero so there's your top five very quickly um and Lewis Hamilton was in 17th. He's not going to be in 17th, let's face it. So <laughs> this is what I mean by these these times are a little bit skew if. Um, many, many different design ethoses have, uh, have appeared this year. And I think it quells some of the arguments that F1 was being too constrictive this year. There yeah. are a lot of, lot of standardised parts. And that's because... Formula One is an expensive sport, and we need teams in it that aren't, you know, you know, the one of the largest car manufacturers in the world, you know, that sort of thing, or the largest drinks manufacturer in the world, and like someone like Gene Haas, right, who, who's only worth two hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, he has a pretty small business by comparison to Red Bull. So, you know, we we need these standardized parts, and I think. Lots of people were worried, and rightfully so, because it's good to question it, whether or not we were going to have the same car appear. But apparently we've got so many different ones. Um, mm-hmm. The the idea behind the Mercedes no pods um, is that you have, you have a very, very small engine package. We've seen that before, by the way. In the McLaren, when they went for their size zero car, it's the same idea um fundamentally that you have a very very small engine package which allows you to have a very small body um except from the mclaren was using very new honda engines and it kept overheating and exploding which meant it was rubbish um so (laughs) let's hope that mercedes doesn't have the same cooling problems because that is the the risk you run on the flip side of that you have the Ferrari design language and the Ferrari have big sky side pods and they've shaped them basically into like an extra wing. And so the air, uh, the idea is the air is going to flow over the side pods um, and the side pods will help with the, the flow of the air, keeping drag down and, and also maybe inducing some sort of uh, downward force as well, depending on how they've designed those. Uh, the Mercedes has lots of uh, dimples and stuff in it. Um, and that's to uh, a bit like a golf ball. Uh, a golf ball has lots of dimples on it to release the laminar flow of air to make it all turbulenty, and and that reduces the flow, uh, reduces the uh, the air resistance. That's why a golf ball is dimpled, and that's why lots of these cars are going to be dimpled this year. Uh, Red Bull brought a upgrade package that looked like someone had punched their side side um, pod very very hard <laughs> same thing so if you if you see the cars this year and you think oh someone's had been heavy and they kept dropping their parts everywhere it's it's not it's because as a 
a weird side part of these rules and regulations um, because all the downforce is appearing in the floor um, and underneath the car or a lot of it is anyway a lot of the body of the car will have these dimples in it to, to make them uh, uh, less draggy which is a bit odd really um, if it doesn't quite match up with the way maybe you, you you would at home think about aerodynamics often when I think of like an aerodynamic shape I think of like a, a nice triangle cutting through the air and often actually that's not the case at all that induces more drag so we have some weird looking cars right already simply mm. because there are these wonderful design ethoses um and if you ask me, Aston Martin, with its new green um, paint job, which is a bit lighter than last year, and then has little accents of light green, looks like a big crocodile. <laughs> I, I see that. I see that, yeah. And it's funny that with new designs and with uh, new innovation comes the same old complaints, really, from different teams of, oh, is that legal? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, we're, which we're seeing Ferrari actually complain about um, Mercedes. Well, not a formal complaint, but um, questioning, shall we say, the um, the wing mirrors of the Mercedes, which could mm. be quite interesting uh, moving forwards there. But in in terms of testing and what we've seen so far, is there anyone you feel has got a lot to prove? Because looking at sort of the highlights and what I've seen, it's not been a great period of time for uh, McLaren. A lot of reliability issues with their uh, the braking and cooling off them, particularly on uh, day two, for example. I think, yeah, McLaren's test really went south. Um, after Barcelona, it was kind of thought, you know, that it's right up there. But then they had those persistent braking issues. Um, not helped as well in the team situation by Daniel Ricciardo testing positive for COVID. So, Lan- so Lando Norris had to do three days of hard running in the Bahrain desert. Um, to be fair, I can think of worse things to be doing with with one's life. But uh, anyway, um, but yeah. So they're, they're but I mean, I guess the main point from that was their preparations were disrupted. Um, and anything with testing, with also the way testing is. I remember back in the day when testing used to be like a good four like four days three times over so you'd have 12 to possibly 12 to 15 days of testing to get things right whilst this year we've had this year they've only had six days and i think last year was less last year was like three days um of testing so if you have a problem if you have a morning or an afternoon or a day taken out by a mechanical issue it can really set you on the back foot um i think mclaren may have had that in comparison to their other boy well, what you would have said would be their rivals at the front um because of their brake problems um i still believe it's something they can solve i think that there's enough time and also they, it looks like again testing predictions so can't guarantee anything but it does look like there is a gap between them and the teams behind um and they got a maybe a good head start from barcelona uh but at the same time they might have some catching up to do um, they aren't the only team. There are other teams who had problems with with uh, reliability, namely Alfa Romeo and Williams. But McLaren's mm. problems, I think, were the most publicised simply because, well, their their brakes were their brakes weren't working slash on fire quite a bit, and that's not, never a good image, never a good image <laughs> to be betray- never a good image to be portraying to the to the world's media and the world's fans. But um, at the same time, I mean, who knows? There's still there is still I still think there could be. There's what. Now five, well, four days till first practice. Yes, a time for yes, and well, yeah, time for listening. There'll be two days till first practice, so there'll still be time between end of testing 
and first practice for teams to look at things, make a few tweaks here and there. I mean, is F1's a constant cycle of upgrades and review and development throughout the season. So I think there will still be time for McLaren to try and bring back their issues. And let's be honest, they have to fix what is... I mean, the brakes is quite a fundamental issue. It goes without mm. saying. So they, they yeah, better fix yeah. it ASAP. Tom, I have a question for you. Oh, because yeah. um, you're not currently a big Ricardo fan. No, I'm not. <laughs> do, you, <laughs> um, uh, do you think Ricardo missing out on the last couple of days of testing um, is going to set him back massively um, in terms of his, his performance in the first few races? Or do you think he has the ability to, to bounce back given that he was in the uh, previous testing in Barcelona? And to some extent, do you think that previous test in Barcelona saved him a little bit actually oh well he definitely has the ability there's no question there I think my beef as such with him is that um, he's made some rather questionable decisions and doesn't always get the scrutiny that other drivers do but I digress anyway I mean on paper you would say that him missing testing here in Bahrain where the cars which we'd like to see or a more defined version of them uh, missing out on that is not going to be helpful but then again rewind to last year's testing Alonso of course was having surgery dental surgery after that horrible crash and there I was saying, oh, Alonso is going to be so behind. He's not going to know which way to drive the car, all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and um, and there he was doing fine after a few races. So I think that Ricardo will be um, you know, ready and willing to race and do well uh, for McLaren. But it certainly does put the pressure on him again. After a quite an average season, as I've said so many times on this podcast series, he needs to come out the traps really, all, all, uh, fire, all cylinders firing, should I say. And him being... Being delayed in terms of the or him not being able to have the amount of testing that others have had, more sort of pressure and stress being put on Lando Norris, it's not the ideal way you prepare for testing. But I go back to my earlier point of testing doesn't have to be perfect for a season to go very well but I just feel that with McLaren they're in a position now where seemingly Ferrari is starting to pull away a bit in terms of the quality of the car and you've got other teams that are starting to build towards something. I look at Alpine, for example, they looked reasonably good in terms of testing after a few scares in Barcelona. You've got Ocon in sixth, for example, in test two, and then you've got uh, Alonso uh, in fourth place. And I, obviously, that doesn't necessarily translate, but it's it's a good sign of what the car can do. So I feel that, um, yes, McLaren are in currently splendid isolation of fourth in the constructors I think we're going into the season but they want to make sure they're keeping up with the top three versus being pulled back into a very packed midfield I predict of the season I'm, I know some being very quiet about McLaren's performance <laughs> because I'm a very big McLaren fan and um, I feel like for the last let's say few seasons they've been taking good steps forward um, as as the packs got more competitive and, and certainly taking the step last year to take on a Mercedes engine was was good. But I'm worried. <laughs> I'm worried. Um, yeah. Uh, they, they have had problems. Um, they have had problems. Weirdly, not necessarily from the dreaded porpoising which yes. I will explain in just a moment. But from from what I've 
what I've been reading about, because I've been trying to dive in to find out what's been going on for them. But as you can imagine, given we haven't even got into the season yet, they're very, very guarded about what's going wrong. Um, the I, the problem is their brakes don't work and their overheating is setting fire to themselves, which is fundamentally a big problem. And um, the the kind of an issue is is they've got wheel covers this year. If you uh, yeah. if you're at home have ever seen um, like I, I suppose they kind of look like steel um, hubcaps. Um, that's what we've got for the first time this year. Usually you would have um, the, the, the wheels pretty exposed, but no, they've decided for aerodynamic efficiency purposes and, and to keep channeling that dirty air away and keeping all the air nice and flowy around the cars. We're going to have these hubcaps, if you like, on the wheels. And um, it, it seems like part of the problem is that traps in heat. And in Formula One, you want lots of heat around your, your braking area um, to some extent because you want the heat to travel up into the tires to make them sticky so you've got nice sticky rubber tires to make you have lots of friction so you can grip nicely and you want your your um, brakes to be warm as well we work with carbon ceramic brakes in formula one which means that you can't have them cold because if they're cold they kind of grip too much and they're they're, they're like too too sticky and so you <laughs> kind of break and then you get these lockups where the wheels lock because we don't have anti-locking brakes and that's all bad um unfortunately if you don't get your cooling right it goes the other way right it gets way too hot and before you know it you've accidentally set your wheel on fire which is what happens in the tv <laughs> and also you get brake fading where you can't transmit the energy out from the wheel anymore anyway so that's what mercedes that's what mclaren have got a problem with they don't have a problem though with porpoising and this is why i have faith because mm. this is a fundamental problem with that we've discovered in testing um, and I really would encourage you at home to go onto YouTube because it's all on YouTube to just take a look at the highlights from testing because you'll see this in action. But what porpoising is, is a phenomenon when you no longer rely on wings, i.e. like front um, front wings or maybe like a rear wing for your downforce, when you rely on the floor of the car. And what they've decided to do in Formula 1 this year is to allow the teams to design the floor so you get sucked to the ground using the floor you can actually demonstrate this by the way if you want to know have a little science experiment at home if you run a spoon vertically down if you turn on a tap and you run a spoon underneath and you put a, a fork or a knife rather behind the spoon you'll see your spoon will get attached to your um your knife as long as the water is flowing uh, under the spoon uh, if that makes sense uh, and then I'm you trying can actually... visualize that now <laughs> so if you have a spoon uh, you turn on the tap and you put a spoon underneath the tap so the spoon is point is pointing downwards Okay. And the water is running over the, the, the hump of the spoon. Okay. okay. Then yeah. you get a knife and you put the knife towards the, the hump of the spoon. So it's, it's also in the water. The spoon mm -hmm. will get sucked to the knife. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's and that simulates the air in this case. So you can actually demonstrate ground effect at home using a tap, a spoon, and a knife, um, and porpoising for that matter. I demonstrated it to my father actually to show him what we was on about. Um, and the, and basically, what the problem is is as the cars get faster, more air goes underneath the car, and so it gets sucked down to the ground. Um, that's all you need to know. As you as the car gets sucked down to the ground the gap between the bottom of the car and the, the ground gets smaller. And in as a result of that, it sucks itself more to the ground, 
which means the gap gets smaller, which means it sucks itself more to the ground, which means the gap gets smaller. And as you can imagine, that's a perpetuating cycle. It's, a, it's an ever increasing amount of suction until finally the cars hit the ground. And then that completely breaks off the flow of air and the car springs back up again. And of course, you're still doing 180 miles an hour. And so the cycle occurs again. You get sucked back down to the ground. You smash into the ground. You bounce back up again. And so the cars are going along the, the ground going bang, 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 <laughs> against the ground. And they are like shaking in the, in the cockpits. You can see their heads flying around. Mercedes had huge problems with this. In fact, they've yeah. been really severely impacted because... Part of the reason they got rid of the side pods is they're relying entirely or almost entirely on the floor to generate downforce. So if, for all you non-Mercedes fans out there, if they can't solve this, they actually might have the back foot here because um, they they might not be able to solve the porpoising without lifting the ride height of the car. And if you lift the ride height of the car, you get less downforce. So all the teams that have gone for side pods that help produce downforce and that help channel the air like that, that actually they might be an advantage. So I, that's that's my justification for having some support of McLaren. It seems like they very quickly managed to solve the porpoising problem by, I don't know, just um, having a, a, a just different design ethos. Um, unfortunately, they need to come up with a system to stop the cars being able to setting themselves on fire, which I think is um, <laughs> an equally problematic <laughs> issue for uh, any team. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And as we say, we're very much in the dark here in terms of what's going to happen. The older listeners will remember that we were waxing lyrical over Sonoda because he did so well in testing and um, he didn't have an amazing season, put it that way. But it's time for us to go and make some very bold predictions based on little to no evidence and see how they fare come the end of the season. So, gentlemen, what are we thinking? Who is going to win the Drivers' Championship? When it comes to the sort of uh, mid-December time, who's going to be holding the, the Gold Cup? Let's go for Angus first. I'm going to put my hat in the ring of Ferrari's consistency and I'm going to say that Charles Leclerc will be the world champion this year. I think that Red Bull obviously have a very quick car. Um, they've got the momentum behind them from last year. They d- it doesn't look like they've dropped the ball. But I've just got a feeling about Ferrari. The more I see them, the more consistent they look. Um, Leclerc, I think... You could say, why have I not gone with science? I think just Leclerc maybe will have just the extra X factor to take him over the line. I think science will run him close, as will Verstappen, as will probably the, both the Mercedes as they come into it later on in the season. But I'm going to go, maybe it's just my desire for a different world champion, but I think that Leclerc looks like, he'd have a bar, looks like he could have a barnstorming year. He looks up for it. And yeah, that's my predicted world champion. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah uh, and you've jumped in there quickly with a Ferrari. I mean, that's on the assumption that Ferrari are, are as fast as you think. I think if you if you put a gun to my head, um, and so to speak, I think I'm gonna call it for a Red Bull, and I think uh, and Max Verstappen. I was thinking that as well. Ah, <laughs> 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 next day, Tom. Um, <laughs> um, and I shall tell you for why. Um, Max Max suits a car that is let's say not very stable and one of the things that we've discovered from testing is these cars are not very stable at the moment they're oversteering 
understeering, not steering at all. Um, <laughs> you know, they they have got loads of problems. And what I mean by that is is if you get the car wrong in then the car you'll try and turn it in and it just won't turn it will just keep going straight or other other teams were finding that they were hitting a curb and that was it the rear of the car was spinning around and before you know it you're facing in the wrong direction and max verstappen has demonstrated time and again that he can take a pretty shall we say difficult car to drive especially the 2020 red bull and make it competitive and Mm. it's that adaptability that sets drivers apart um i would argue lewis hamilton has the same thing by the way and um i'm sure we can talk about that but so if you you ask me max verstappen i think red bull have got some good upgrades um to the car they were fitting them in part three of testing that on the third day and at the very end we saw how fast it was they've got over the porpoising issues um I think. And yeah, Max Verstappen, he's hungry for it. He wants the second um, world championship and he wants to have number one on his car for another year because he's got, he's got number one on the car uh, this year because only mm. the world champion can have that. And we I haven't seen one since uh, Sebastian Vettel, right? He was the last one to run one yes. on the car. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was leaning towards Leclerc. I was leaning towards Verstappen. And if I'd have jumped in first, I would say Verstappen. Um, but I think, yes, it's not only that, but also he's done his years in waiting. He ground out the last result. He's won that world championship. And I feel that when it comes to winning a world championship as a driver, you almost need to sort of you know grind one out and get there before you can leap in, um, shall we say, let's say from third or fourth in the uh, construction instructors to um to do it and they've they've been in that fight for a long time now red bull not always got the rub of the grain um but the reason i wouldn't go for ferrari is they've kind of been nowhere for a while um they weren't competing in uh, last season definitely not the season before sort of in 2019 or leclerc was uh, more than vettel but they've not really had that experience of slugging it out and being up and around there and the sort of winning mentality i guess is what i'm getting at so i'd lean to more towards verstappen than i would uh, a ferrari but i think with all that in mind who's the most experienced man of the group when it comes to to driving and grinding it out and um beating the elements looking at last season you've got to say Lewis Hamilton so I think it's one of those where regardless of the testing issues that Mercedes have had and all the the mind games if you will that have been trotted out of that garage you can't discount uh, Lewis Hamilton at all particularly after what he'll perceive as an injustice uh, for the way that the last championship was concluded and the fact that he feels he's got a point to prove and the clock is ticking as well it's going to come a point where Lewis Hamilton just isn't the quality of driver he was Last season, I predict he will be this season. So I think he'll definitely be up and around there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he won this championship, but I don't think he's the most likely contender. But I said that last year, didn't I? So. Notice that we've uh, avoided right um, the, the counterparts to these drivers. So yeah. George Russell, Sergio Perez, and Carlos Sainz. Now, Angus, you briefly mentioned there Carlos Sainz um, and why you didn't pick him, which is fair enough. Um Shall we talk about George Russell and whether or not he will be able to hold a candle to Lewis Hamilton? This is his first year within the Mercedes. Uh, 
do do you see the relationship between Hamilton and George being one of of Hamilton mentoring George, or do you think George is going to be grabbing the the bull by the horns, so to speak, a bit like how he overtook Bottas um, in yeah. uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix in twenty twenty to to demonstrate his dominance there? Um, do you think he's going to be coming out charging, or do you think he's going to be you know second fiddle to Hamilton? You know, and, and is Mercedes going to influence her at all? I think it all depends really on how they start the season because if you were to rewind when Leclerc goes to Ferrari, a different team I understand, but I think the the relationship there was meant to be Sebastian Vettel mentors Charles Leclerc and then, you know, they built him up and then Vettel goes away one season and Leclerc's ready to go and be the team leader and this, that and the other. But because Leclerc came up the traps early doors and did so well, that changed the dynamic immediately where it was, oh, okay, um, equal treatment, um... Uh, Leclerc actually will probably give you more because you're going to be here for a lot longer and you're younger etc so it all depends I think on how Russell starts but then again the treatment that Lewis Hamilton has had at Mercedes of him being the undisputed number one driver is over now there's no chance it's going to be a one and two system as it was with Bottas because Bottas was quite clearly there to plug a gap he was the right man for now wasn't he and he stuck around for a few years but they can't give that sort of treatment to George Russell because he is the future of Mercedes. There's no doubt that if he fulfills his potential, he will be their number one driver and the man, hopefully, if you're a Mercedes fan, winning a championship, be it constructors or drivers. I don't predict that Russell will blow the doors off, shall we say, versus Lewis Hamilton in the first few uh, few races. I'm kind of thinking largely, or I'm thinking that uh, train of thought really, largely because of how Mercedes have been doing in testing. But as I say, it's not reflective. Um, so I think it'll be more of a mentoring relationship, but it won't be one where, let we say, let, shall we say, George will be a good wingman. I think in terms of Russell, I think people will need to relax a bit because I think he may... Not struggle, but he's in a new team. He's up against the right, like the the formidable teammate, you could say. So I think inevitably, if he is two three tenths of Lewis, Twitter is going to melt down as Twitter often seems to do. But I just think we need to give him time. Honestly, I think he is. We know the potential he has. We know how good a driver he already is. He's still only twenty four, I think. Um, so we just need to give him time. We know that unless something drastically changes, he will be Mercedes team leader in a couple of years' time when Hamilton packs it in. Um, I think this year, definitely, that Mercedes, as long as it's quick, race wins are on the card for sure. Um, he did seem to struggle a bit with the porpoising in testing. Um, and he's he's also clearly he's he's clearly a Mercedes employee because he's also been jumping on the, uh, the PR line of, oh, like you said earlier, Tom, oh, we're not going to be the fastest. We're going to be, what was it they said a few years ago, fighting fighting with Haas. Um, but, Haas um, is at the front, you know. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, yeah, so, but I, th- I think he, he will do fine. Um, but we just have to measure our expectations, I think, at the start um, but and just wait for him to, as lots of people do in a new team, just grow into the team and grow into the atmosphere and then, as the year goes on, see that we'll see that improvement. I think so. But at the start, we just need to just relax a little bit. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't get on it straight away, then it's not no big deal. Um, and yeah, we just hope he has a good year. Okay, so then constructors, who's going to win that title for this season? Top going. You you went last, so I feel like you should have first okay. pick. Okay, okay, I'm going to go for Ferrari. 
because I believe that looking at testing, they seem to have a fairly bulletproof car, seems to be very consistent, doesn't seem to have too many weaknesses so far, and I guess that's just testing, so it's not truly reflective, as I say, but I feel they've got arguably the best driver pairing on the grid in terms of we know what Carlos Sainz and uh, Charles Leclerc can do uh, individually and also in this car as well. Last season they were very much following one another in terms of one would be fourth and fifth, fifth and sixth and the like. And we didn't see that at all uh, to the same extent I'd say with Red Bull and Mercedes and I don't think we'll see that again in terms of of course, the the Red Bull car is built around Verstappen, so it's always going to be more difficult for Perez. And with respect to Perez, I'd probably say he's not as good as Signs in terms of that battle, or Leclerc for that matter. We've just spoken about how George Russell is betting himself into a new team and how Mercedes don't look too great, so there's that issue as well, that transitional year maybe. So I think when you add all those things up together, I think it's going to be Ferrari's year because... Once again, they can't afford to prioritise, or nor should they prioritise, one driver over the other after Sainz beat Leclerc. You know, the prodigal son of Ferrari, who's got a larger or longer contract, should I say, mm. uh, than Michael Schumacher had way back when. So they're not in a position to go and have a one or two system. But the consistency, the experience, the testing, it's all adding up to a Ferrari, a Ferrari season in some capacity. And I feel constructors is more likely than drivers. Only dream, eh? I, <laughs> I, I, oh. Okay, so I think I have to roll off the back of my last prediction and say that I think it's going to be Red Bull. Um, for similar reasons, though, Tom. This is the thing. This is the wonderful thing about these drivers set up. I think we've got. I think mm. Perez is solid as a wingman and definitely was instrumental in allowing uh, Max Verstappen to to get in the position to take the world championship. I think Max is hungry for it. I think Red Bull have got a decent car. Um, I think the team is pushing really, really hard and can bring it to whoever is is up there as well. So, again, a recipe for success. I I see the hunger, and if not, Christian Horner would just moan until they until <laughs> they win. Um, <laughs> bless him. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think Red Bull is in a great position this year where they can run off the back of their past successes. Um, and I have massive faith in Perez. I think I think he's a really, really good driver. Um, but to be honest, Tom, if you hadn't have Nick Ferrara, I probably would have said it as well. I'm yeah. ever so hopeful. And, uh, Got you if, this time. <laughs> you know, and maybe, maybe if I predict that uh, Red Bull win, it'll actually be glorious McLaren and I won't jinx it for them. Um, so yeah Red Bull Red Bull you watch watch and and wait you see Red Bull are going to be absolutely dominant I think Red Bull as well personally I'm going to or one copy Tristan but two I'm going to predict for the second year in a row that the team who wins the constructors does not get the double so last year of course Mercedes won the constructors but didn't get the drivers I think Red Bull I feel like Red Bull last year they desperately desperately wanted that drivers for Verstappen Um, just to get that one over Mercedes, get their their prodigal son, that first driver's championship, which they did successfully. Um, but I think they'll be stronger than the constructors this year because Perez has been in the team for a year. He'll bet himself in. He'll be more familiar with the car. He'll have more routine there. Um, I think that... It could also, I think it could also be really close to the top between Red Bull, Ferrari, and then possibly Mercedes coming in. That You could see a situation where like we saw last year, where the team wins the Drivers' Championship, but their second driver comes like fourth, 
and then the team that uh, doesn't quite win the drivers but wins the constructors gets second and third in the drivers and collates enough points to then pip the pip their arch rival to the constructors so for me i'm going to say red bull for the constructors not mercedes then Interesting. No. That is an interesting. Is, one. Well, yeah. we know we you, you decided you decided to throw your eggs in, in the, my basket there, Angus. So if we're wrong, Indeed. I'm blaming you for this. You <laughs> could have gone for Mercedes. <laughs> this is your choice. Yeah, my choice indeed. What I just keep telling myself is, at some point, the Mercedes dominance has to end, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so getting away from our predictions of who will win the respective titles and championships, what's our bold prediction in terms of a team? Who's going to surprise us for all the right reasons, or maybe the wrong ones? Just because we're quite tight on time, I think it's. Uh, I'm going to chuck in my bold predictions for team and driver together. Uh, my pred- bold prediction for the team is that Haas is going to is going to be in sixth. Um, I think that Ooh. that's where they're going to come into. Ooh. And I think my, I think Mick Schumacher is going to get 50 points. Ooh. Jeez. That is bold. That's Hello. extremely bold. Yep. Fair play for that. I say that. my One of my predictions... Actually, both my, I say that. Both my predictions are ridiculously bold. Um, my bold prediction... They're different. My bold prediction for the team... And this is, I think, the most bold one because it could... It could be proven wrong at the first race, statistically. <laughs> I think that oh, Alpine. No. Will, I think that Alpine this season, as a team, will score less than thirty points. As a team, Ooh. I think that that midfield is very tight. <laughs> that midfield and right. back is very tight, all the way, arguably, from Aston Martin, Alpha Tauri, and fifth, sixth, all the way down to whoever's last. Um, which could be Haas, could be Alfa Romeo, could be Williams. Alpine could be down there, honestly. I can see a situation. Mm. I've got a bad feeling. I can't lie. I look at that pink car and I've got a bad feeling about it. I don't know why, but I just look at it and they had a couple of issues in Barcelona. They look better in Bahrain, but I just, I don't know. I can't see it. And my bold prediction for a driver, this is so ridiculously bold looking at it, (laughs) considering the top four teams look quite distanced from the rest. Um, But I think Sebastian Vettel will win a race this year. I think oh. that the Aston Martin and Vettel in particular, Vettel last year we saw had a very, what I'd call a spiky profile. He had lots of highs and lows um, mm. from his weekends where he was desperately slow to the results like when he was in Baku and and Budapest and almost won those races. So I think Aston Martin could be probably about the, about the sixth, fifth, sixth fastest team and I reckon Sebastian Vettel will win a race. Interesting. In terms of my bold team prediction, I think that Williams will finish last. I think oh. Hass I think I think I think Hass will finish well, my original prediction was Hass to finish above them, but um <laughs> read into that where you will. <laughs> and in terms of bold prediction for driver, I think that Valtteri Bottas will finish higher than ninth. You think Williams is gonna be in last? I do not buy the hype around Alex Albon and Latifi together. I don't think testing has been great. I think that other teams have made far more strides. And going on to my Bottas point, I see a similarity between him and Kimi Raikkonen when he went to Alfa Romeo. You know, going down from a big team, a big fish in a small pond, if you will, dragging that car up and having the freedom now he's unshackled from the, the politics of the respective team. I think he's going to do very well this season. I don't think Wenyu Zhou is going to hold a candle to him, but I think Bottas is going to be quite the tricky customer if you come up against him. That's interesting. Well, I guess I guess we'll 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 find out, and as as you know, we did last season. We'll come back to this at the 
at the end in November and uh, late November or December next year or this year rather and uh, find out just how well how we do but I think Angus and I have been a little bit more bold than you Tom there so uh, well, I don't know sorry, I think that guys. we've got more to lose than our reputation anyway I'd love to hear your bold predictions if you're listening at home as well um, maybe you think we're completely out there and so ends another episode of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening to us ramble on about testing in Bahrain and what's to come in the first round of the 2022 season. You'll be excited to hear it is race week. We are going to Bahrain. Uh, free practice on Friday will kick us off and then the race on Sunday starting at 3pm uh, UK time if you're uh, watching or listening from that respective country. And thank you very much for tuning in on your preferred podcast provider whether it be on River Radio as well, live or listen back. Be, do, of course, be sure to follow us on social media at F1 in Review on Twitter. Until next time, thank you very much for listening.